The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit morningstardayton.org. morning. Turn your Bibles, if you have it with you, to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, that's where we're going to be today. And if you don't have one, don't worry. We're going to have the words up um, on the screen here in just a minute. We're starting a series today called Sphere. And I know you kind of you hear the word sphere. You think of like this uh, sci-fi movie or something. We're actually just talking about the circle of influence around you, like the people that are around you. And this series really ties in with what we just got finished going through, our gather, grow, and go. And it's going to lead us into the next thing we're going to talk about leading up to Easter, which is called When Jesus Comes to Town. And I'm, I'm excited about the next couple of weeks uh, and months uh, here pretty soon. I just, man, God's doing something here at Morningstar, and it's, just, it's fun to be a part of it. It's fun to, to share it with you guys and to walk as God has, leads us to wherever he has us going. And I'm just telling you, it's, it's awesome. I'm excited about this series that kind of, kind of ties all this together a little bit. We're talking about sphere, and, and the idea is this. It's really it's about the people that are around us. And there's people everywhere, right? Sometimes too many people, right? I, I don't know if you ever tried to get away and try to avoid people before, but sometimes it's really hard to do, isn't it? Because there's people everywhere. Uh, for me, I, I really love going out into the woods and going hunting. Uh, if that offends you, I'm sorry. You guys hired somebody from Texas who just loves to go shoot stuff. So that's just who I am, all right? And I'm not going to shy away from it. In fact, Craig and I went this past November and went hunting. And I look forward to it because you go out. And you, you do get a chance to separate for a little bit, right? You get a chance to get away, even if it's just for a little while. But even out in the woods, at some point, you have to come back to reality, right? You have to come back to civilization. And even if you live in the most remote parts of this world right now, it's almost impossible to live in total isolation, isn't it? Because we're just so connected. There's people everywhere. And we're talking about this circle or this sphere of influence of people in our lives. And they say the studies show that everybody, no matter who you are, we all on average, every person has about nine people that they have some kind of influence in their life. Not like you can control them, like I can tell Evan, hey, Evan, go do it, he'll go do it. But like I have some kind of influence, ability to speak into his life. And everybody, they say everybody has about nine people on average that we have that opportunity. And, and we're talking about those people who are in our circle, those people who are in our sphere. And we talked about gather, grow, and go. And we, now we're going to unpack and go, okay, what does that look like? We call ourselves Christians, right? We, we call ourselves Christ followers. I mean, you're at church on Sunday. You could be anywhere else. But you're like, I, I just, whether you're a follower of Christ um, or, or not, there's something that drew you to, I, I need to go to church today. I need to be a part of this. But what does it look like to live out Christ in our circle? We really hit it hard a couple weeks ago when we talked about going and we're supposed to go into all the world and, and that world, word world means cosmos and then go into all, every nation, every ethnos. And, but what does it look like when we look at our sphere of influence, the people that God brings into our life, into our circle, what does it look like to live Christ out in front of them? How? Because here's what most of us, we all have this circle that that God just seems to orchestrate everything and everybody who kind of filters into our circle. And he's creating these little life events where people filter into our circle. And what God wants us to do is engage them in that circle, to engage them in that sphere. But how many of us have people come in and out of our lives every day that pass right through our circle and we don't do anything? 
We all have we all have people around us. Like we have neighbors, and we have we have uh, we have people we go to. You go through the drive-through at Wendy's, and it might be a totally different person every time we're going to drive-through, but it's still somebody who's in your circle at that moment, right? We we go out to eat at, at a nice fancy sit-down restaurant like um, Skyline, right? So we sit and, and we have. We have <laughs> Skyline, and we have a waiter or a waitress that comes, and it might be a different person every time, but they're in our sphere. They come into our circle of our life. We have that neighbor that lives right next door to us, and God's kind of like planned them permanently in our circle. And we all have different levels of people in our circle. We have people that we're really close to. We call them really close, like good friends, like my best friend. I know their name. I know their struggles. I know everything about them. They know me. And like we're kind of journeying together. Then some of us have people like their acquaintances. We know their name. We even can have a conversation with them, but we don't go very deep with them, but they're still in our circle. Then there's some people that we, we know their face, but we don't know their name. So when we see them, we give them the, the head nod. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, <laughs> or hey, man. I'm really bad about that because names are hard for me. So I'm really bad. Hey, guy. <laughs> so, but they're still in our circle. And then we have some people that we just don't even know because it's just a different person all the time. So today I'm excited about this because we're talking about what does it look like to live Christ in that circle? What does it look like to live Christ in that sphere? And I want to kind of set up the background for Luke chapter 5. Here's, here's the deal. This is brand new in Jesus' ministry on earth. Like a couple of chapters before this is Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. And we read that a couple months ago. Uh, and right after that we get a little snapshot of Jesus as a, as a young man. But other than that it kind of fast forwards to him getting baptized by John the Baptist. And he goes straight from there. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days and he fasts and he's tempted by Satan. And then he gets done with that. And in Luke chapter 4, he goes to Nazareth, which is his hometown. Like that's where everybody knows him. And he goes into the synagogue, a little local uh, area of worship. And because he's a young man, around 30 years old, he has the opportunity to read from the Old Testament. So he grabs the, the scroll of Isaiah and he reads a certain passage that we're going to circle back to around in just a little bit. But he reads this passage that's a prophecy about himself which I love, he just reads it and he puts the scroll down and he sits down. It's like scroll drop, you know, mic drop, scroll drop. And so he's just like, boom, done. And these guys are like, man, he spoke with such authority. And then Jesus says, what I just read, it's about me. And they freaked out. They're like, this blasphemy, you're calling yourself God. And they drugged Jesus to the edge of town and they were gonna kill him. He's like a few days into his ministry, right? And they're gonna kill him. And, but the Bible says that he's able to pass through, like he, he leaves, he kind of disappears from their sight. And he goes traveling around all of Judea and Galilee and he's starting to get a crowd. Because everywhere he goes, his words are just so powerful. And people who interact with him, they go and tell everybody else about him. And so in, in Luke chapter 5, in verse, uh, in verse 15, we see what happens is it says, while he was in one of these towns, there was a man who had a serious skin disease that was all over him. And he saw Jesus, he fell face down and he begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus heals the guy. He has leprosy. He has skin disease. And he heals him. And Jesus tells him, don't tell anyone. Go straight to the temple and show yourself and do what you need to do to show that you've been clean. Now, here's what we do. What we find is this guy totally went and told everybody after that. We're like, what well, did he sin? No, he had to go to the temple first. So what Jesus told him was, don't tell anyone until you've gone to the temple first and did the right thing by showing that your leprosy is gone. But we see this guy went to the temple, he did the right thing. After that, he went and told everybody, you know what, I saw this Jesus guy. He touched me and I'm healed. Like I'll never be the same, it was so awesome. He told, and so when we get to verse 16, 
excuse me, we get to um, in verse 15, sorry, it says, but the news about Jesus spread even more and large crowds would come together and hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And yet he often would sometimes withdraw to deserted places and pray. And that leads us to our passage this morning where we're gonna be at. Because Jesus is going from town to town and now because of this guy who was a leper and he got healed, he went and told everybody and now Jesus is even more famous and people are starting to flock to him and he goes to a certain house. And there's so many people that want to see Jesus. The house is literally, it's a packed house. It's packed out. People are crammed in there. There's, there's no other room in there. And they're outside the house. They're into the street. And Jesus is starting to talk and he's starting to share with that. And we pick up this passage here in verse 17 of Luke chapter 5. It says, on one of those days, while he was teaching Pharisees. Pharisees are, are priests, experts, and, and very super religious people. And teachers of the law, we call them scribes, were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Verse 18 says, Just then some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. And they tried to bring him in and set him down before him. So I want to stop there because, look, maybe you've heard this story before of the paralyzed man and his friends. And if we're not careful, we can really over-sensationalize this passage. Like we can read into a lot of this passage and it's really not there. And we don't need to do that because it's so cool as it is and it's so awesome and powerful. But there's certain things we don't know. Here's one of the things we don't know. We don't know how many friends there were. Or we just know it's plural, so it's more than one, right? I'm not a Greek expert, but the original Greek is plural. It's more than one. So like there's at least two, possibly four. Because they're carrying around a, a man who's paralyzed. He can't walk. He can't move. He, he's an invalid. And so there's gonna, and two people carrying a guy on a stretcher is, is pretty tough. There might be four, one on each corner. We don't know. But there's at least two and maybe more. We also don't know how long these guys have been friends with this paralyzed guy. And sometimes what we don't know about passages is, is sometimes just as interesting as what we do know. Because we don't know, there's only one or two options. Either they grew up with this guy, like they were younger and they grew up in the same community and they knew him from when he was really young and paralyzed and they just made friends with him. And so as young boys, they would just carry this guy everywhere they went, which is amazing anyway. They have that kind of influence and that kind of relationship with him. The only other option is, is that these guys were already on their way to see Jesus and on their way to see Jesus, they happened to run across this paralyzed guy laying on the side of the road or begging somewhere. And they make a relationship with him. They make friends with this guy. And they say, hey, you know, we're going to go see Jesus. We've heard about some really cool things he's doing. You want to go with us? You want us to take you with us? And here's what's awesome. It doesn't really matter which one of those is true. They're both amazing, aren't they? That you have some friends who, who have this circle, this sphere, and in this sphere is this paralyzed guy, and they know who Jesus is, and they're like, hey, we're going to take him to Jesus, whether we grew up with this guy or we just met him. Either way you look at that, it's, it's pretty awesome. The other thing we don't know is how far they carried him. Like, was he local? Was it in the same town? They're like, hey, Jesus is coming to town, let's carry him. Or did they have to go a great distance? Was this a journey they had to go on of multiple days just to try to catch up with Jesus? Had they missed him at other towns because they're having to carry this guy and yet they're just not giving up? We don't know. But either way, man, it's, it's not easy to carry someone that's got dead weight. And I don't mean that in a put down. 
But those of you who are in the military or maybe you're in law enforcement or, or some kind of emergency services, you know carrying someone who absolutely is completely limp is hard because it's not like they can put their arm around you and help carry their body weight. And even if they can't walk, just being able to hold their body still while you carry them, it makes it a lot easier. This guy's dead weight. Like they're carrying the full weight of this guy. And not just that, not just the journey and carrying him, but they're not walking on paved roads. They're walking on dirt roads with rocks and animal feces all over the place and uneven. It's not like they grade those things really well for drainage. It's just, they're just cut roads. And yet they're carrying this guy. And so those are things we don't know. But I want to focus this morning. We're talking about our sphere. What do we know? What do we know from this passage that we can draw and say, what does it look like to live Christ out in our circle? So if you're taking notes, the very first thing this morning, here's what we do know. One is they saw the need. They saw the need. Like it was evident to them that their friend had a need. He's paralyzed. He couldn't walk. He couldn't help himself. So it wasn't like this was news to them. They, they knew this about their guy. And not just that, but it was messy. Not only did they have to carry him to Jesus, they're having to take care of him along the way. And if they've known him since their childhood, they're taking care of him for a lot longer. And there's a small journey to go see Jesus. And if they'd known him for a long time, you know what? They probably didn't even think twice about his disability. It obviously did not affect their relationship. It obviously didn't affect their care for him, but the glaringly obvious thing was always right there in front of him, in front of them, because they had to carry him everywhere they went. It's not like they could say, hey, you know, there's this really cool restaurant down the road right next to where they're selling the camels, like the dealership down there. Like, let's just go. And like, if they're going, they got to carry him with them. They couldn't just say, hey, you know, there's a, we got a softball team together. I don't know if they played softball. There's a game going on. We're going to go play. Like, if they're going, one, he can't play. But if they're going to go, they're going to take him with them. So it's not like it was a surprise to them that this guy had a need. He was always limited to what he could do based on what they were able to do for him. This guy was in their sphere. He was in their life. And God had placed them in that position to have influence with this guy. And he trusted them. He depended on them. There was a relationship that got developed. And you know, they, they didn't do this. They didn't think, you know what, well, he's been paralyzed for his whole life. I mean, you know, he's probably used to it by now. Like, who are we to fix something that he's probably used to? The other thing they didn't, they, you know, they didn't say this. You know, he hasn't really asked me for help. So I don't want to kind of like offer it. If he wanted it, he would surely come and ask me for it. And they didn't, say, they didn't think, well, you know, it's not really my place to force help upon him. I mean, I don't want to come across as a fanatic or a lunatic, right? But God has placed people in our sphere. He's placed people in our circle that we have influence with, that we have relationship with. And here's, man. I'm not God, I don't want to speak for God this morning, but as I read the scripture, as I read how God has just laid this all out, you know one of the things that probably frustrates God the most is when he brings people into our sphere, when he brings people into our circle, and we don't even make relationship with them. Can you imagine God being like, look, I gave you the job as a church to go, 
to go into every ethnos, every ethnicity, every, every nation, all the cosmos, to, to spread the hope and the message of forgiveness and new life. And it's got to just bother him when he's like, okay, I got, I got these people. I'm going to bring some people into their sphere. We don't even bother to engage. These people that God brings into our circle, they have a need, they have brokenness, they have a separation that they can't fix. And here's what we're guilty of. Here's what we're, we're guilty. We, we think, well, you know, they've been that way for a long time, so they're probably okay not having Jesus. Or we think, well, you know, they haven't asked me for my advice and help, so like if they're really interested in God or Jesus, I mean, surely they know I go to church every Sunday. So if they really wanted to, they'd come talk to me about it. I, I, I kind of, I halfway love this and halfway it's kind of, it's, it's funny. When people now, especially when I meet new people and they ask me, hey, well, what do you do? And I tell them, hey, I'm the pastor at Morningstar Baptist Church. I love it because I either get one of two reactions. It's either, oh, man, God bless you. That's super awesome. I go to church down here. Or they'll say, oh, that's really neat. But you see on their face, like, oh, man, he's going he's gonna to tell me I have to go to church. Like, it's just this funny dynamic. And so I kind of like to play with that a little bit because I'm like, I bet you think I'm going to ask you to go to church, aren't you? Like, it's just because, but we have this idea of, well, you know, they know I go to church. Well, the first question is, do they? Well, they see me drive away every Sunday. Well, a lot of people drive places on Sunday. Well, I'm sure I must have told them at some point. So if they really were interested, they would come talk to me about it. The other thing we think is, well, who am I to say something to them? I don't want to come across as a crazy Jesus person. Like, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that girl. You know who the most powerful soul winner of all time was? The most powerful evangelist of all time would have been? Jesus told this parable, this story of a rich man who died and went to hell and a poor man who died and went to heaven. The rich man did not go to hell because he was rich and the poor man did not go to heaven because he was poor. They went to where they went because of a relationship they had or they didn't have. But Jesus gave us a glimpse and an insight into those who spend eternity in hell. Because in this story, Jesus tells this rich man who's in hell in torment lifts up his eyes and he begs for somebody to dip their finger in some water and just touch his tongue. And when he's told, I, we can't do that, his next statement to God is this Well, please let me go back from the dead and tell my brothers and people that I know I don't want them to come here. You talk about crazy Jesus person. You talk about crazy evangelist, somebody who's like, I know what I know now and I don't want anybody to come here. This guy was willing to come back from the dead, scare everybody half to death that's still alive because a dead guy came back to life just to tell them not to end up where he ended up. It's amazing when we change our perspective and we think about that. That I think hell right now is full of people who would put everybody in this room, including myself, to shame in the way they witness and share their faith. Because sometimes it's only when we get to the end of our life that we have a chance sometimes to look back at our sphere, at our circle, and realize how many people have crossed into our circle and we never really engaged. How many people God has brought into our sphere, into our area, and we never really made relationships. But these guys, they didn't do that. They saw the need. The second thing that we do know is this. Obstacles meant nothing to them. Obstacles meant absolutely nothing to them. They finally made it to where Jesus was. 
and there's no doubt that he was there because the house is packed. There's people everywhere. The crowd is so thick. There's people inside. They're crowded around. They're in the street doing everything they can to hear Jesus. Everything they can just to get a glimpse of this guy. And these guys do all the work. They carry their friend to see Jesus. And they, they overcame a lot of obstacles. One was they had to carry their friend there, which was work in itself, right? The second obstacle they overcame was the, the effort and the people discouraging them. Imagine them carrying this guy to see Jesus and people going the same way, but they're walking a lot faster to go see Jesus because they're not carrying anybody. And imagine the conversation. God, you got to put that guy down. He's going to slow you down. Jesus is going to be gone by the time you even get there. Like you're just, you're, you're dumb for even trying to carry that guy. Like just, just go so you don't miss him. And not to mention the culture of that day. If you had a physical deformity, like you, could, you couldn't see or you couldn't hear, or you couldn't walk or you had leprosy, it was looked on as a sign that you had sin in your life. And so for these guys to be carrying someone who has that deformity, who is paralyzed, the looks and the glares and the comments that they must have endured on their way taking him to Jesus. Why are you guys hanging out with that guy who's a sinner? Obviously it's a sinner, he's paralyzed. But now they finally make it and they can't get in. There's people everywhere. The first two obstacles meant nothing to this, these guys. And so they come up with a very unique way of getting their friend to see Jesus. They just want him close enough to Jesus to hear the truth, to get healing. And their method was to use any means necessary to get that guy to Jesus. So where do they go? Verse 19, I love this. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. <laughs> and not only that, but they lowered him in on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Not only do they carry this guy all the way to see Jesus, they get there, they can't get in. It's like, well, there's a roof. Nobody's on the roof. Let's go up there. And so they carry this guy, dead weight and all, onto the roof. Now, more than likely, there's stairs going up to the side of the house, up onto the roof, because of what they would do in that culture. In the evenings, they would go on top of their roof because the outside air was cool but the roof was still warm for the sun and they would hang out. They would spend time with friends. They would eat dinner up there. In fact, the, the historians tell us that there was a thing called the roof road. If the road on the, on the ground was, was really congested, people would go up some stairs and just walk the roofs to avoid all the congestion. So it wasn't weird that they went on the roof. What was weird is they broke a hole in the roof, okay? So it wouldn't be weird if somebody was on my roof, maybe, but if they start digging a hole in my roof, like there's some words are gonna be exchanged at some point, right? Because I gotta pay to fix that. Right? But they went on this roof and they did what most of us would consider just completely unthinkable. They pulled the tiles off the outside layer. They ripped up the wood thatching and the, and the mud and brick that was underneath that until they got a hole big enough right above where Jesus was standing. And they took this guy they carried there. And I just imagine like, hey, do you trust us? Because we're going to put you through a hole. Like we're, we're going to lower you right down into this, into this room and they dropped the guy, they didn't drop him, they lowered him gently, I imagine, down onto the floor and it was right where Jesus was at. And their job ends there, right? Because they got their friend to Jesus and Jesus does all the rest. What I love is they didn't believe that any task was too hard. No obstacle was going to stand in their way. There was nothing, nobody was going to be able to discourage them. When the hardest obstacle of all comes up, they kept going. And here's what we do, though. Sometimes we look at something like, well, if it's too hard, then it must not be God's will. If it's too difficult, if I get too much pushback, then it must be not be what God wants me to do. 
Sometimes we back down at the first sign of an obstacle. But these guys were willing to do anything. And so are we willing to do anything short of sin to reach people who come into our circle? Are we willing to do anything to reach people, to influence them towards Jesus? So we know the obstacles, no obstacle was too much. The third thing we know this morning, the last thing is this. Jesus did what only he can do. Jesus did what only he could do. They lowered this guy down at the feet of Jesus. And here he is now. He, he had enough faith in his friends to allow them to drop him down to the floor. And he had faith enough in Jesus' ability to heal him. But I, I have to imagine there was probably some apprehension in him. He's the new guy in the room. Not to mention he has no friends in that room. His friends are on the roof. He has no way out. He can't walk. It's not like an embarrassing situation where you kind of excuse yourself and kind of sneak out. This guy can't go anywhere. And now he's at the feet of Jesus. What if he doesn't heal him? What if Jesus gets mad because he interrupted his sermon? What if, what if the crowd presses in and, and closes off and gets between him and Jesus? Then what is he going to do? So there had to be some, okay, well, how's this really going to happen? But look what Jesus says in verse 20. It says, seeing their faith, he said, friend, also interpreted son, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus looks at this guy and he says, I forgive you. You're forgiven. The story was going so well up until that point, right? <laughs> I mean, you could make a movie out of this story. I can just see a, these friends who have this compassion for their friend who's paralyzed and they go on a super long journey carrying him night and day and camping out and everything they can to get him to Jesus. And, and the climax of the whole movie is when they get there and there's packed and they can't get in. And then they see him go up onto the roof and they bust a hole in this roof and you see the danger of them letting him down into the hole, making sure he doesn't fall. And he lands in the feet and anticipation waiting for what we all think is going to happen, right? And all of his friends, their faces just like peering over the hole, waiting with big smiles on their faces because they got their friend to Jesus just waiting. And then Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven you. And just when you read that, it's almost like you can hear the air knocked out of them. What? <laughs> These guys are out of breath. Like, what? <laughs> we just walked how far? We just tore a hole in this roof. Like we let this guy down. He weighed 200 pounds and we just dropped him. What did he say? He's forgiven. <laughs> kind of not what we were going for there, Jesus. You can just hear, like, what is, what's going on? And imagine this guy. As he's laying there with that anticipation of, I'm finally going to be able to walk for the first day in my life. And to be looking up at Jesus and Jesus go, I forgive you of your sins. They're done. What? Like, I'm laying here, I can't walk. I haven't walked my whole life. My friends just dropped me through a roof. I'm a stranger and all these people, like, I, what do I do now? I'm forgiven, great, but what do I do now? Like, how do I exit out of here? This doesn't, in his mind, like, it might have been like, this doesn't really help me. Isn't it really obvious what my need is? It's obvious that I need healing. Isn't it obvious that I'm hurting, I'm broken, I'm lonely, I'm forgiven? What do you mean by that? 
We've got to understand, we've got to see that in our own circle, in our own sphere, we've got to see the people in our circle the same as Jesus saw this man. Yeah, we see the obvious outward brokenness, but sometimes people are really good about hiding that, aren't they? What we do is people pass through our sphere, our circle all the time, and we just go, hey, they're good, they're smiling. They're good, like we shared a joke together, they're good, like they're... I don't think they're depressed. I don't think they're hurt. Like they didn't say anything. We put up all the walls, even with our outward brokenness, and we have all this hurt that we carry and all the things that we say, and, and, and yet we have this messed up life. And what we got to understand is what Jesus understood is that no healing can take place apart from Christ, the Messiah, and his forgiveness. Like our biggest brokenness is rooted in our separation from God. Church, don't misunderstand. Jesus saw his broken body. He saw it. It wasn't, I mean, he was lowered down. He gets it. Jesus knows that he can't walk. He knows he's paralyzed. He sees the broken body. But what Jesus wanted for him first, what had to happen first before any physical results could take place, is Jesus needed to restore his broken relationship. See, that was the greatest healing that had to take place that day. What Jesus was in essence saying is, I love you and I see you're broken, but what I want more than anything from you is I want to have a relationship with you. Like I love you enough in your brokenness that even if you stay paralyzed your whole life, I still want relationship with you. But Jesus said, I can't have relationship with you because there's sin that separates. There's a brokenness that's there that's bigger than your broken body. What Jesus said to this guy is, I see your broken body, but what I want for you and with you more than anything else is a relationship with you. You see, the religious leaders of that day, they equated human sickness and disease and, and brokenness and blindness they, with sin. They even asked Jesus later on, there was a blind guy, and they said, who sinned to make him blind, him or his parents? <laughs> Jesus was like, man, you don't even get it. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, sin, there, there, there's suffering in this world because of sin, but what the religious leaders of that day started to do, they started to focus more on the results and the physical manifestations of sin instead of the answer to sin. They started seeing people in their brokenness and they started pointing fingers and saying, yep, that person's a sinner. Yep, they're broken. And they, start, they became so consumed with the outward manifestation of sin, they totally forgot that their number one role was to introduce people to the one who had the answer for sin. So Jesus loved this man so much and he saw his broken body, but Jesus loved him so much that he wanted a relationship with him and not a religion. So here's a question. Why didn't Jesus heal him first? Couldn't he, have forget, couldn't he just heal him, make him walk? And then if Jesus would have healed this guy first, you know what would have happened? The guy probably would have worshipped Jesus, but he would have worshipped Jesus because Jesus did something for him. And he would have worked his whole life trying to please Jesus. We call that religion. When we try to work to please God, we think that the more we do, the more elevated we are in God's sight. And the more religious, the more, the more spiritual we are, the more God is pleased with us. And that's not what God wants. He even says, I don't want your sacrifice. I want your heart. He could have healed the guy first, but then he would have had a religion and not a relationship. Jesus wanted relationship. The scribes and the Pharisees that day had traveled from all over 
Galilee and Judea and even Jerusalem just to hear Jesus. They wanted to judge whether he was legitimate or not. Because they heard back in Nazareth, this guy spoke some blasphemies, but they wanted to hear it for themselves. So when Jesus says in verse 20, your sins are forgiven you, look what they said. Verse 21, they lost their ever-loving minds. Look, verse 21, then the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They went crazy. This guy is a blasphemer. They were right. Man, those guys in Nazareth had it right. This guy is a sinner. He's saying that he is God because only God can forgive sins. But what I love is this. Jesus was doing exactly what he told him he was going to do in Luke chapter 4. Remember I told you we're going to circle back around to this. When he stood up in the synagogue that day and he grabbed that scroll from Isaiah and he read from Isaiah and he quotes this, says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. What is the good news? It's the gospel. What's the gospel? That a broken relationship with our God can be made right again because of Jesus. Then he says this, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. You know what that release to the captives means interpreted in the Greek? It means forgiveness and pardon of sin. Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 5 exactly what he told them in Luke chapter 4 that he was going to do. I came to set people free, to set them free from their sin, to offer forgiveness, to make the path right again for man to be restored with their creator God. So that man can spend an eternity in heaven with me. And I love this. Jesus is like, look, I'm just doing what the prophecy said I was going to do in Isaiah. This is me. And what bothered them so much about him saying that is because, remember, in that, that culture, you had to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. And have a priest say, because you brought the dove or because you brought the, the animal to be sacrificed and we've shed the blood of the animal, now your sins are forgiven. What Jesus is saying to this guy when he says, I forgive you, you're forgiven, Jesus is saying, I am the sacrifice. It's me. Like, I can forgive you because I'm the sacrifice. I can forgive you because this is who I am, because I am God. By telling the man, your sins are forgiving, Jesus was bypassing the temple, the priest, and the sacrificial system. But how in the world can he do that? John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who's the Word? Jesus. And then it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus says, I'm, I'm that. I'm God in the flesh, I'm here to offer the ultimate sacrifice to die your death, to pay your penalty, so I can say to you, your sins are forgiven. And what Jesus was claiming to offer was something they believed he had no right to offer, forgiveness. And they were mad because this man who's laying there had no right to receive forgiveness because he hadn't offered a sacrifice. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm the sacrifice, and because I'm the sacrifice, I can declare you clean. Because I'm the sacrifice, I can declare you holy. Now, Christian, listen to me, Christ follower. Here, here's what's so exciting about this. That we're going to mess up because we're just as broken as this guy in this story. I'm going to fall and you're going to fall. We're not perfect. The moment we give our life to Christ and we accept salvation, we're not perfect. We're going to fall. But here's what's so awesome about this. Because Jesus was a perfect sacrifice, when we mess up, when we fall into sin, when God looks at us, he no longer sees the crippled, broken body, the separation from him. When he looks at me, and now that I'm saved and I'm a Christian, I'm a part of the family of God, when I mess up, when I fall, Jesus only, God only sees the righteousness of his son Jesus wrapped around me. 
And that brings hope to me. It brings peace to my life, understanding that, man, Jesus sacrificed. He looks at me and says, John, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. I've restored that relationship. And now that he had been forgiven, the relationship that had been broken now was restored. And to prove that not only could he forgive sins, but he had the power over everything, he says in verse 22, but perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you reasoning this in your heart? What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so you may know, verse 24, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And in verse 25, it says, immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home doing what? Glorifying God. Praising him for who he was, not necessarily what he had done. The guy immediately gets up and he goes and he glorifies God. And then verse 26 says, everyone was astounded. And they were giving glory to God and they were filled with awe. And they were saying, we have seen incredible things here today. Not just the guy who got healed, but the fact that Jesus said, I am the Messiah. I am the one who can offer forgiveness. And all this happened. Why? Because there were some friends who were not okay with someone in their circle not being okay. Because there were some friends who had someone in their sphere who they saw and they knew was broken. They didn't gloss over it. They didn't make up other words for it. They didn't try to explain it away. They knew it was brokenness and they knew Jesus was here who could heal the brokenness and they were not okay with him not being okay. And so because they identified this person in their sphere, he had a need and they broke through barriers. They overcame obstacles. They didn't let excuses come in between them and their mission to do one thing, get their friend to Jesus. So the question this morning as we wrap up right now is who's in your sphere? Who has God brought into your circle? I know I've quoted it here before, but it's super important that God brings people into our life for a reason, for a season, or for a lifetime. God brings people into your circle and into my circle, and it's either for a reason because they're broken and he wants you to get them to Jesus. For a season because maybe there's something that we need to influence and speak truth in their life or for a lifetime. So who is it that's in your circle? Who's in your workplace? Who's in your neighborhood? What excuses are you and I, what are we making? What excuses are we making as to why we're not bringing them to Jesus? Have we answered for them by not even giving them the option? Are we justifying our silence by rationalizing away their need? What obstacles are we allowing to derail us from that? Maybe, maybe, listen, maybe we've been shot down before. Maybe like, John, I've stepped out. I tried to do it. It didn't work out well. I don't want to go down that road again. Like, I'm just, I'm done with that. Maybe this morning, maybe you and I need a fresh encounter at the feet of Jesus. Maybe we're not engaging those that are in our circle because we have forgotten what it's like to be the paralyzed person at the feet of Jesus. Maybe you and I aren't engaging our sphere because we've forgotten what it's like to have the weight of our sin, the guilt of our punishment completely taken away. 
Bible says that when we give our life to Christ and we ask for forgiveness, when God forgives, he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west, never to remember it anymore. And believers this morning, do you remember that feeling? Do you remember that experience when you understood what it meant? That pressure, that worry, that doubt, that, that just the burden of carrying that weight of your sin in your life. Do you remember what it was like when you gave your life to Christ and all of a sudden that was lifted off? Because if we do, when God brings people into our circle, why would we not want them to experience the same thing that we have? Why would we not want to introduce them to the Savior? Why would we not be willing to do whatever it takes, go however far, go do, do whatever the, the obstacles, overcome them, fight through it, tear roofs off, whatever? Why would we not do everything in our power just to share with them the opportunity to have that same freedom that you do? To understand that we were held captive by our sin, we had no answer, that we needed healing. That we needed to find our way back to God, but we didn't have to go far because Jesus came to us. And he sought us out. That he pursued us, that he chased after us. And what that means and feels like to have God chase after us. Honestly, we have to get to the point where we're not okay with people not being okay. And until you and I get to that point where we're not okay with people in our circle not being okay, we're never going to engage anyone. We've got to engage. We have to pursue. We've got to reach out. We've got to talk. We've got to invite. We've got to carry. We've got to stop making excuses. We've got to bust down some roofs. We've got to do anything and everything in our power to understand that this is an eternal issue. This is an eternity we're talking about. We don't know some things, but we know enough to do something. We don't know everything. But we know enough to do something. We know that there are people who are hurting, who are lonely, who are separated, and they're longing for something that no amount of physical healing will ever satisfy or complete. Only Jesus. It's only Jesus. And God brings them into our circle, into our sphere. And he wants us to engage. And he wants us to talk. And he wants us to carry. Jesus wants relationship, not religion. And he has set apart this church and you and I to be the ones who go and invite, to go and tell. So who's in your circle? Church, let me have you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning for just a moment. We're going to have a time of response. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we, in this room right now, we, we have so many different people represented. We have young, we have old, we have everybody in between. We have people who make all kinds of excuses. We can go through all, man, there's different excuses all over the place as to why we don't engage why we don't interact, why we don't invite, why we're not caring. But it really just comes down to this. If we truly understand the forgiveness of Christ, if we truly understand what it means to be made right, to be in a right relationship with God, if we really understand that joy, 
then why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we reach out to those that God brings into our life? You know, I, just, I just can't, I can't talk. Well, then just love. Just have a conversation. Make relationship. And maybe this morning, maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're like, John, I, I've never heard that story that way. I never understood the love that Jesus has, not just for that man, but for all of us. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I've never given my life to Christ. I've never asked him to forgive me and receive that forgiveness that he's so freely offering. I've, I've never put my trust in him. And maybe you've tried everything else, but there's that weight and that guilt and that shame still follows you. Can I tell you something this morning, if that's you, that there is real freedom when we just give our life to Christ, when we invite him in to save us and to make us right again, there is freedom. He did come to set the captives free. And the good news is that you don't have to leave here in the same relationship that you came in. That you can be made brand new. So for this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, look, I'm not here to embarrass anybody, but I just would love to pray with you. That maybe you're here this morning like, John, that's me. Will you just do me a favor? Will you just slip your hand up for me so I can pray for you? Nobody's looking. I'm not going to call you out or make you stand up. But you say, John, I don't have Jesus. Thank you. Anybody else? Do you have a relationship with your creator? Is it real? This morning, I just want you to know you can leave here with that. I'd love to talk with you. In fact, in just a moment, we're gonna have everybody stand up here in just a minute. And I, we're gonna give everybody a chance to respond and maybe God's worked in your heart about something. You're more than welcome to come down here and come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you'd like to just write on, go grab another connection card somewhere and write on the back, I, I, I wanna give my life to Jesus and I'll reach out to you this week. But you know he died for you. He died to take your place. All you gotta do is just give your life to him. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to save you. Believers this morning, who's in your circle? When I talk about people being brought into your sphere, what faces, what names came to your mind? Who did God put in your heart to reach out to? Who did God put in your heart to make relationship with? Who did God put in your heart and your mind to engage? Then do it. There's a reason he laid that on your heart and your mind. Because they need him. And God wants you to introduce them. I'm gonna pray here in just a moment and then I'm gonna have everybody stand. And listen, if God's worked in your heart, again, I'm gonna be down here. I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. You can deal with him right there at your seat. But don't you dare, we, how dare we leave here today the same that we came in. God has something huge for all of us. But it's not for us. It's all about him. Are we going to carry? Are we going to overcome obstacles? Are we going to see the need and engage? God, we love you so much. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for your message, your word this morning. How powerful that little small passage is in Luke so powerful that you don't want religion you want relationship you came to set people free and to give us new life and to give us that abundant life and the joy that you talked about and an eternal life with you 
God, give us the same passion and give us the same drive that these guys had with their friend to bring everybody in our circle to you for your glory. God, I pray for those that raised their hands this morning that they need you. I pray that you give them the boldness either to put it on a card and drop it in the, in the crate or go talk to someone or reach out. God, we'd love to introduce them to you this morning. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning and worship? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions about Morningstar Baptist Church or today's message, visit MorningstarDayton.org and choose Contact Us.